Good morning. My name is Austin. I am the youth pastor here at Branches, and I am happy to be with you. Week three of our Second Timothy series, Sound Teaching. So I have now been camping twice this summer. First time was with Branches Youth. We went to San Onofre, whoop, whoop, for our summer camp. And the second time was this past weekend, past weekend meaning yesterday for me because this is not my weekend. I am currently working. But this past weekend, Kara and I went to Ojai. And what I found out while I was camping with the Branches Youth Summer Camp specifically sleeping in the high school boys' tent, is that I have sadly become dependent on Kara's sound machine. And it pains me as a 28-year-old man to say that I have become dependent on a mechanism to help infants sleep. But this is the reality that I have stepped into. And so I'm laying there in the high school boys' tent, and I'm hearing all types of sounds from snores to grunts to excessive movement. And I'm like, why are you moving so much? Stop moving so much. Do a little bit less. You are literally asleep. And I just kind of have to deal with it. Just kind of like staring up at the ceiling of the tent. Like, this is the reality of my life as a youth pastor right now. And as much as I would like one, I couldn't really have a sound machine. I couldn't just be like, all right, boys, good night. They'd be like, hey, Austin, what is that? I'm like, listen, boys, I said good night. It's lights out. There's no talking or there'll be consequences, okay? Okay, good night. <laughs> like, I couldn't really do that. And before someone says, Austin, you could have worn headphones, no. No, I couldn't because if I was wearing headphones and one of them came out, then the sound machine would turn off, and that's what happens when it's time to wake up. So not going to happen, but... There's this weekend at Ojai with Kara. And Ojai, it's a little more naturey than Sano with all the insects, all the critters, all this beautiful harmony late into the night. Thursday night, it was the most epic, natural sound machine, fully draining out our neighbors' conversations. It was amazing. And with our text today, there's lots of noises that need to be drained out. False teachings left and right, that which Paul instructs Timothy to avoid, but also learn how to combat. Paul assures Timothy that the gospel and the living word of God serve to be the noise that drains out the false teachings as well as corrects it, leading people out of death into life. And as this instruction was important for Timothy at the time, so it's important for us to hear today. So let's dive into God's word. This is going to be out of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. I'm not sure we'll bring one to you. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. The words will also be on the screen. This is the word of the Lord. Verse 14, keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. 
Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some for disposal of refuse. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know that they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. Let's pray. So Lord Jesus, I pray that as we dive into the implications of today's text, we can have the gospel be front and center in our minds, and that be what drives us, that be the lens that we see all things through, and that we would be able to decipher, as Paul is leading Timothy, through false teachings and understand your heart and your truth. We love you, God. Amen. Amen. So Paul begins, keep reminding God's people of these things. What are these things? This is in reference to what we talked about last week when Pastor Sumner was preaching. Verse 8 from 2 Timothy chapter 2. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David according to my gospel. And then verse 11. If we died with him, we will also live with him. And we might think, why is Paul having Timothy remind them of such simple things? Important, yes, but fairly simple. Why not have him remind them of the more theologically dense things, things that might be a little harder to remember? But truly, it's the simple and important things that tend to slip our minds the most. Take my camping trip, for example. Have any of you ever left for a trip, and as you're leaving, you're thinking, I feel like I'm forgetting something? Anybody? You leave for a trip, I feel like I'm forgetting something. You packed the day before, spent plenty of time packing. You even think, I might have overpacked, yet I feel like I'm forgetting something. You see, Kara and I, we left for Ojai 10 minutes into our drive, and we had that thought, I feel like I'm forgetting something. But then we continue on with our conversation, and Kara begins to teach me about pop-up campers. These are so cool. I did not know pop-up campers were a thing. I, don't, I can't believe none of you told me about them. They are so awesome. They're these little trailers that you hitch on the back of your car that pop up with beds, bathrooms, a sitting area, and even a kitchen. I'm like, Kara, that's amazing. It even has a kitchen, kitchen pans. Kara, I think we forgot the pans. And she's like, yes, we forgot the pans. And we're thinking, how could we forget the pans? We brought all the things we're going to cook, but did not bring the means to cook them. The issue was we were more focused on less important things. We brought like eight games and a library of books, but we forgot the pans because our focus was elsewhere. And unfortunately, this happens all too often in our faith as we as the church are easily tempted to get our focus off the message that really matters and center it on something else. Paul's telling Timothy, remind them to bring the pans. Do not allow them to spiritually starve themselves 
Remember the gospel. And while Paul writes to focus on these things, he's also telling them what not to focus on. Focus on the gospel and warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. And the obvious reality that when we take our focus off the gospel is that we are going to place it on something not the gospel. Oftentimes, something that does not coincide with the gospel, like words of quarreling. And in turn, we will ruin those who listen, as Paul writes to Timothy. And at first glance, we may read the word ruin as simply an inconvenience. But if we do a word study, we see in the Greek, it is catastrophe, where we get the word catastrophe, which means to overthrow, which means destruction. So it's not ruin like I ruin my eggs by putting too much salt in them. There's a serious tone to the matter. Do not quarrel about words in place of sharing the gospel or reminding others of the gospel, for it'll be catastrophic for people's faith. Keep the main things the main things. While words are important and precise wording is necessary for precise theology, but if you lose people over your own rambling, then you've lost. Our best bet is to ask, Holy Spirit, give me discernment, give me the words to say, the times to listen, that I may properly engage with this person in a conversation about faith. Paul next writes to Timothy, present yourself before God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. What does this look like? Well, how we be approved by the Lord is by the salvation that Jesus gives us. So Paul is writing to Timothy to live into what is already the reality for him. You've been redeemed, so now live like you've been redeemed. Now that you've been made new, now that you're a new creation, live like one. Do all things unto the Lord. You do not need to be ashamed for correctly handling the truth, Timothy, even if those who are opposed to you make you feel like you should which is probably the reality, as Paul writes about the growing number of false teachers, calling out Hymenaeus and Philetus specifically. They are growing in popularity and are probably working to discredit Timothy's evangelism. They're taking a good thing, the gospel, and they're infecting it with their heretical views. And it's spreading like gangrene, as Paul describes, making it no longer the gospel. To paint the picture of how this plays out, I have another camping story. Before leaving for Ojai, Kara made the most delicious bread. And I am so happy that like making sourdough bread is a trend right now because I am in full receiving of this trend. I am a recipient of this trend. Thank you, Jesus. And Kara has been making sourdough and she, she switched things up this time. She made an herb sourdough at the crack of the bread, the glory of the heavens. It was delicious. So good. And we were saving the majority of it for our camping trip, but we had a slice the day of just so we can like taste and see. You know, like the whole like now and not yet looking to the future kingdom. That was like the now and not yet, that slice of bread. We're looking forward to it. We're so excited. But then there came Thursday evening, the day we got there. We were in like the most ideal situation. It was so zen. We were like sitting by the creek, coffee in one hand, book in another, creek making its creek sound, just super nice and all that. And then we hear some ruffling on our table, a little bit of ruffling. And Kara gives me this look in my eyes and I'm like, it's time to go. So I book it. 
This is like real life, me booking it. And I book it to the table and there's no critter around, but it seems like everything has been misplaced. And something was gotten into. Can you guess what it was? The bread. You see, our bread was wrapped in a plastic bag and then wrapped in a towel and there were bite marks all the way through. And so in slow motion, I scan the area until I find the culprit in the hole. It's this little furry head of a squirrel and I'm looking at this monster like, Hymenius, you have corrupted the bread of life, the herb gospel. I bet Philetus is in there too, you schemers. And you see, these squirrels taking just a few bites out of the bread. It was donezo. We don't know where they've been. We don't know what diseases they might have. They have corrupted Kara's bread. This is what we see Hymenaeus and Philetus doing with the gospel. They are corrupting it, and their corruption is spreading like gangrene, making it not the gospel anymore. Here's what they were teaching. Verse 18. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. And this is not about the resurrection itself, but the meaning of the resurrection for Christ's followers. Some in the early church life illegitimately applied the Bible's eschatology, which means end-time teaching, in a manner called the acute realized eschatology. What does this mean? It means the future of the kingdom is now, disregarding the fact that Jesus is going to return and usher in his second kingdom at his second coming. Not second kingdom, I'm sorry. Usher in his kingdom at his second coming. And how those who followed this teaching interpreted this is that they can now live however they'd like, sin as much as they'd like. Like if your soul is saved forever, so what you do with your body doesn't matter. Do whatever you want. Live however you want. And some people think this outlook was a factor in Corinth, causing Paul to write these words sarcastically in 1 Corinthians 4.8. Already you have all that you want. Already you've become rich and you've begun to reign and that without us. How I wish you really had begun to reign so that we might also reign with you. But thank God that mentality is over, right? It's not really an issue that we need to dive into. Sadly, no. We see this trend continue on today. What many will fall prey to is habitual sin, sin that just keeps on happening. We let it slide. We might even consider some sins smaller than others because it seems so small, but even then we miss the point entirely. Grace abounds, yes, but instead of that leading us into praise and surrender to Jesus, it leads us into deeper spiritual slumber as we abuse grace. And that's when grace becomes cheap grace. That's what these teachers were teaching, cheap grace. Here's how theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer describes cheap grace. Cheap grace means grace sold on the market like cheap Jack's wares. The sacraments, the forgiveness of sins, and the consolations of religion are thrown away at cut prices. Grace is represented as the church's inexhaustible treasury from which she showers blessings with generous hands without asking questions or fixing limits. Grace without price, grace without cost. The essence of grace, we suppose, is that the account has been paid in advance, and because it has been paid, everything could be had for nothing. Since the cost was infinite, the possibilities of using and spending are infinite. 
What would grace be if it were not cheap? Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is the grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. We see Bonhoeffer here expose the false teachings that Paul is addressing in our text today, that they have made the grace of Jesus cheap grace by using and abusing it rather than receiving the grace of Jesus and being led into worship and surrender, the only accurate path after having received grace. Nevertheless, Paul writes, even with what the false teachers are stirring up, God's solid foundation stands firm. What is God's solid foundation? 1 Corinthians 3.11, for no one could lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. So God's solid foundation, it stands firm as it is Jesus and his gospel. And Paul continues, saying the foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. And we see these both constitute warnings that Hymenaeus and Philetus are not going to fool God, who is the judge of their errant doctrine and behavior. Recall the words of Jesus to the Pharisees, to those who were trying to win the grace of God on their own merit. Jesus looks at them, Matthew 7, 23, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. So this inscription, we see the Lord knows who are his. By Jesus, we see he also knows who are not his. And we see in the second inscription that a mark of being known by God and following him is turning from wickedness. Everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. So there is action involved. There needs to be intentional action. If you're following Jesus, you must turn from wickedness. Not just keep specific sins because it feels small and grace abounds. Rather, you must turn from wickedness to be consistent with proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. As you proclaim that he is Lord, you turn from sin in tandem to both honor Jesus as Lord and live into the new creation that you already are in him. Paul paints the picture further, giving a clear analogy of how people can be useful versus less useful for God, describing how they can choose to be useful for the master. Timothy, I want you to imagine a large house. And within a large house, there's going to be a lot of things some more useful, some less. You'll find gold and silver. You'll also find wood and clay. Some items for special purposes. Some are for common use. Verse 21, those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. What is Paul saying here? He's saying to cleanse ourselves from common, which is the way of the world, and instead to be holy, which is a set apart from the world for God. Paul is saying that with the intentional choices to live holy lives rather than common lives, we become useful to the master. And that's what holiness is all about. My professor at Vanguard University, Bill Dogtrum, once said, holiness is usefulness. 
Meaning we're not holy just for the sake of being holy. Surely not holy for some sort of spiritual flex. Rather, holy to be useful for God. We are set apart for his good purposes. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's what it means for us to be holy, set apart to be useful for the master. We were literally created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So let's live lives that are consistent with that doing good works, being useful for God as we walk in holiness. Paul goes on to describe to Timothy how he can walk in such a way, by fleeing from evil desires of youth. Now, is Paul saying that all youths are bad? No, but desires like these begin at youth. Desires like sexual temptation, big money dreams that become idolatry, having a large following, Not just youths, but adults need to flee from these evil desires as well. Because growing in age does not guarantee growing in spiritual maturity. There needs to be intentionality with discipline to produce maturity. Intentionality with fleeing from these desires. Truly, your maturity will be the mark of your discipline. But not just fleeing, but fleeing and then pursuing in the right direction. For we still need to fill the void of this desire that we have. So fill it instead with righteousness, faith, love, and peace. For following Jesus, it's not just about not sinning. It's not just what we don't do. It's also what we do. So we don't just flee these evil desires. We also pursue the goodness of God. It's a both and situation. Kind of like with playing the game Kajabi Can Can. We just played this at Branches Youth Summer Camp, and we played it at Common Ground Surf Camp this past Tuesday. It's amazing. If you guys haven't played, you should. It's for all ages. Let me assure you on that one. But a little description of how you play. Everyone gets in a circle. You all hold a little piece of rope. The rope's like six to eight inches. You hold a little piece. The person next to you holds a little piece until you're in a big circle around this trash can in the middle. The name of the game Don't hit that trash can. Don't let go of the rope. So you have two things to focus on. If you hit the trash can, you're out. If you let go of the rope, you're out. So I played this on Tuesday at Common Ground Surf Camp. I hop in. At at summer camp, I was a ref. Common Ground, I had to hop in. So I hop in. I stand next to this this youth, this like eighth grader who has like four inches on me, and he smirks at me. He smirks at me, and then he looks at his friend, and he says something, and I kind of have bad ears from surfing. I didn't hear what he said, but he said something. He kind of smirked, too. I'm like, all right, man, I'll show you. So we played four rounds, and I did. I showed him that he had good reason to smirk because he got me out. (laughs) But you see, with Kajabi Can Can, you don't just focus on not hitting the trash cans. You also have to move with the rhythm of the rope to not lose your grip. And this is how we ought to be and our faiths flee from the evil desires like it's the trash can we're dodging and pursue the goodness of God with all that we have, gripping onto his goodness so the enemy doesn't snatch it out of our hands. Flee and pursue, both necessary for our walks with Jesus. Paul next instructs Timothy, do not have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. 
And notice the combination of adjectives, foolish and stupid arguments. And I know there's kids in here. Yes, it does say stupid in the Bible, but still listen to your parents when they say don't say stupid, okay? Um, But with this combination of adjectives, you can really get Paul's tone of voice here. Like Timothy, my son, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Like we really need to hear this today as the church For how many arguments after 2020 are we going to look back on when we're in the kingdom and think, yeah, that was worth it? None. Or how many friendships did we break in order to prove that we were right and neglected to be love in the process? How many of those will be worth it? None. Like Paul instructed Timothy, church, let's have nothing to do with foolish and stupid arguments. If those arguments aren't going to matter on the other side of eternity, don't give those arguments your precious breath. They produce quarrels, and they are foolish. Timothy is instructed not to be quarrelsome, but to be kind with those who agree with them. I'm sorry, to be kind with those who don't openly disagree with them. Man, I should wear my glasses. I think it says, to be kind to everyone, Timothy, must be. And with that, able to teach and not resentful. You see, the call to be able to teach and not be resentful will go hand in hand for how uh, Paul instructs Timothy to, uh, I'm sorry, for how Paul instructs Timothy to have discussions with those he disagrees with. For when we engage with those of conflicting views, we are to gently instruct them in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of truth. We see Timothy's hope, it's not in his own ability to save. Rather, it is in God granting them the ability to have repentance and be led to a knowledge of truth. You see, like Timothy, we plant the seeds and God produces the growth. God will grant them repentance that will lead them to a knowledge of truth. And by the power of the Holy Spirit in them, people will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil. And notice that verbiage, come to their senses and escape. It's like their mind is clouded. Their vision is clouded. Their mind is foggy. This is the effect that the devil has when he takes people captive. And the reality is we're either doing the will of God or the will of the devil. And you see, God will never force us to do his will because perfect love does not force itself on another. The devil's another story, though. His aim is to take God's kids captive to do his own will. And you might think, Austin, that sounds pretty intense. But the reality is we would be surprised at how subtly the devil works. Recall the devil in the garden with Adam and Eve. When he comes to Eve and says, did God say not to eat of any tree in the garden? When God said not to just eat of one. The devil works subtly, slightly twisting the truth slightly getting people away from the will of God. So those who have fallen prey to the schemes of the devil, they need to come to their senses. The fog needs to be lifted. And how we play our part in this is by sharing the gospel, reminding people of the truths that they once received. We share the gospel to bring people to their senses and be liberated by the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter lays it out clearly how we ought to share with others. Out of 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. 
Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So let's break it down. Step one, honor Christ as Lord in your heart. Revere him as Lord. And once you've done so, once you've given him the proper placement in your heart, you will have the capacity to love others well. Step two, have an idea of the hope that you have. Understand what it means for Jesus to be your living hope and what that can do for others as you share it with them. And then last, share it with gentleness and respect, which is on par with what Paul says to Timothy about gently correcting his opponents. And see, we do all this in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Wrapping things up, in a world where people are falling prey to false teaching, like ideologies by people like Hymenaeus and Philetus, be an advancer of the gospel. Be a sharer of the truth. Bring people to their senses by gently instructing them in the faith. And more than that, live out the faith, church. Turn from wickedness. Flee the evil desires of youth and rather live as useful for the master by living holy. Pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace and shake this world for the kingdom. Have God's kingdom advance through you and have Holy Spirit aid you and equip you for every good work. Bring the noise of the gospel that drains out the tactics of the enemy and usher in God's kingdom in your home, with your family, your friends, and at your workplace as it is in heaven. Amen? Stand with me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we proclaim that you are Lord, and what that looks like is living lives unto you as a response. So Jesus, we praise you because you are holy. We praise you because you are worthy. We praise you because that's the only appropriate thing to do from receiving this grace that we can never receive on our own. Lord Jesus, may we keep our eyes fixed on you. As we sing out these words, we, may we be mindful of what you've done for us, what you're constantly doing in us, and what you desire to do through us. As we sing these words, may we sing them directly to you because you are our King. We praise your name. Amen.